All right, Hawks fans and hoop ball fans, we have a special hoop ball promo. This is big, real big, like Manny Fresh, house real big, car real big, daddy. Anyway, before I start singing and dancing in the booth to a New Orleans classic, this is a huge week for everyone at hoop ball because all of our 2020-2021 NBA season products are finally for sale. These hoop ball products are the best in the business. So listen up. Here's what's out. The draft guide. This is our flagship, our shining beacon like Superman. The most comprehensive draft guide in fantasy sports. Our guys went 400 players deep again this year. A future access pass to the Brewski 150 is also out. If you don't know what the Brewski 150 is... You need to know now. It's the fantasy draft list that has beaten every other list for the last decade. Decade. And new for this year, Hoopball is unveiling our new monthly membership plans. I'll try to keep this part short as much as I can. We have the fantasy pass, which includes the draft guide, the Brewski 150, and also the new DFS pass and all of our in-season premium tools. The DFS Pass is also available on its own, if that's your thing. We have the new Wager Pass for our sports bettors out there who want picks and analysis. And we have the HoopBall 360. The sucker has all of the stuff above, plus even earlier access to the Brewski 150. So head to hoop-ball.com or follow at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter now, right now. Like, go on Twitter right after you hear this to learn more and get yours today. If you want to succeed in sports betting and your fantasy basketball leagues this year, this is a no-brainer. Again, go to Twitter right now at HoopBallFantasy or go to Hoop-Ball.com and get right today. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Plays it into Trey. Two seconds wide. Trey Slaughter. Yeah! Hello? Back to Hoopball Hawks. So here on the Hoopball Network that is taking flight, where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, and I am recording this today after the disappointing loss to the New York Knicks at home. And here to recap the game with me is Mr. Player Development himself, Mr. Jordan Boatwright, who is a little giddy today because he is a Knicks fan and dare I ask Jordan how are you today I am great after that comeback win um but yeah I'm, I'm good though how about yourself happy new year too happy new year to you too man I am well uh things are doing well on my end I know we talked uh, offline before both kind of in the same spot as we you know enter the new year and I'm wishing prosperity growth and opportunity for both of us in this new year Exactly. It's a great wish. I love that. Man, yeah, I had to start it out positive because through parts of this podcast, it will not be real positive for the Hawks side. But you'll be happy to talk about the good things that the New York Knicks did. And rightfully so. They definitely look well. And we'll, we'll talk about them here in a minute. And we'll get into the game preview of the Hawks Hornets that will take place on tomorrow. But first, a plug for my bookie. If you like losing money, turn this off right now. But if you love free band, free bands, just like Super Future, then keep listening. Sports betting is getting huge across the nation, and all of my homies love to bet on games. There are a bunch of sites out there for sports betting, but all of my homies love my bookie. Why? Because it's so easy to use. And since y'all my homies too, I'm going to plug you. 
All my homies listening right now can sign up for my bookie with the promo code HoopBall to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus. 100%, just like an A-plus in school. Hopefully you got them, but if not, this your chance to get 100%. You like playing blackjack? There are some very fun and free blackjack tournaments, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much that you can do on my bookie, and the best thing is, is that no cash is required to enter, and you can win up to $100 in daily challenges and up to $1,000 in weekly tournaments. So you want a chance at free cash money? Then again, my homies, sign up with the promo code HoopBall to unlock a 100% deposit match bonus and try to score some in the words of future, like I said earlier, free band, free band. All right, and we are back here on Hoopball Hawks. We're going to talk a little bit about the New York Knicks before going into the matchup that took place last night. And this is not a stretch, but the Knicks have been a laughing stock of the NBA and a punchline for everyone, especially with their owner, Dolan. And uh, they were not safe in the new Pixar movie, Soul, which was a great movie, by the way. Um, <laughs> I know. They did take a shot at my neck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was shocked when they did that. That was that was definitely a low blow. But, hey, no one's laughing now. The Knicks right now are currently 4-3 and three after their win last night over the Hawks and fifth in the East in this early part of the season. And they have the same record as the Hawks right now. Currently under new but tenured head coach Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks are one of the worst offensive teams in the league with an offensive rating of 27th in the league, and they are last in points per game at 101.7 points, but certainly played well last night and scored well above their season average on the offensive end. Defensively, it's where their calling card is, and defensively, we saw how good the Knicks were all game long. They're in the top 10 in opponents' points per game, holding opponents to 104.7 points per game. And their defensive rating is 106.2, which is in the top 10 as well in the NBA, as I said before. They are offensively led by Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. And no surprise, they were the leading scorers last night. And we'll get into the stats of the game later in the program. But, Jordan, what is your thoughts on the Knicks this year to start the season? I'm excited about my Kentucky Knicks this year. We got a lot of players from Kentucky. Um, we got Tom Thibodeau. So I'm excited. Julius Randle has definitely taken um, a, a leap forward as far as leadership and not hogging the ball. He's just learning how to play team ball and, and playing effectively. And uh, like last year, I think his first year was there. He definitely was a ball hog. He wasn't. He was out of shape too. He wasn't committed on the defensive end. So to see him leading the team in assists, leading, and I think he's like, I think he's uh, up there in, in the league with assists too, and then leading the team in scoring as well as minutes too, and he's he's been a force on the defensive end. They just look great. And then his his other Kentucky teammates, uh, Emmanuel, quickly came out, and I, I think he essentially won the game for us last night because um, mm-hmm. Alfred Payton was not getting it done at all. But, yeah, I just like how, how, how they look. I think I think the fact that I guess our main player would be Julius Randle, he's committed on both ends of the court. That kind of enforces what Thibodeau is trying to teach. And I think Thibodeau is allowing him offensive freedom because he is being such an anchor on the defensive end and he's facilitating on the offensive end. So he's allowed to take a lot of, you know, bad shots or, you know, just shots to stay in rhythm and stuff. And we are paying him like $20 million a year. So I'm excited, but it's the Knicks at the end of the day, so that excitement only lasts a little bit. So we'll, we'll screw it up at some point in the season. But as of now, I'm excited. <laughs> and rightfully so, you should be excited. I know R.J. Barrett looked good as well. I know another one of your Kentucky Wildcats, Knox, who struggled in the early part of the game, really hit some key shots in the third quarter that Coach Lloyd Pierce definitely said uh, was the start of, you know, the run that the Knicks had to close out the game there. So we'll talk a little bit more about the game. But going into last night's game, the injury report, the Hawks had Kevin Herter and Rajon Rondo available, even though Rondo did not play. Last night, they're still preserving him, and rightfully so. As a veteran, you're going to need him later rather than sooner. And out are the usual suspects again. Chris Dunn, Tony Snell, Oyeka Okongu, and Danilo Gallinari is still out. But I think he's getting closer and closer to coming back, and we certainly need him and Rondo back sooner rather than later. Even though we really need them for playoffs and later down the stretch in the season, 
if we want to stack up wins in the early part of the season, especially against winnable opponents, we're going to need them to be available. We're going to need all hands on deck. For the Knicks last night, Alec Burks, who is their best three-point shooter for the Knicks, and that's no question, he was out with a sprained left ankle. Frank Nilakina had a sprained left knee. He was out. Dennis Smith Jr. has a contused left quad. He was out. Omari Spellman, sore right knee. He was out last night. And rookie Obi Toppin has a sprained right calf. So they were all unavailable for the Knicks. So certainly both teams were shorthanded, and they both did not go as deep into the bench. But certainly the Knicks pulled it out and got a better effort out of their bench than the Hawks bench last night. And we'll talk about those stats a little later. Keys to the game for me, Jordan, last night. I wanted to see the Hawks bounce back. They lost a trap game on Saturday to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they came into last night's game as a seven-point favorite. So this could be a, this was another trap game for them as they were projected to win, and obviously they fell short of those expectations from Vegas. I wanted to see the Hawks play with more energy, effort, and competitiveness throughout the game. It really lacked at times for most of the game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I wanted to see them bring it because I knew that the Knicks were going to bring it themselves. I wanted to see the Hawks protect the paint as the Knicks are not a great three-point shooting team, but they love to get in the paint, especially when you have Mitchell Robinson, you have Julius Randle, you have R.J. Barrett who likes to get into the paint. So you have people who can penetrate. And, you know, you have they have Rivers as well coming off the bench. You have people who can penetrate into the paint and get baskets inside. And that was something that was going to be key for the Hawks to truly protect, which they had done better at in the last few games, but then they struggled down the stretch against the Cavaliers, and that trend would continue again last night for the Hawks. I wanted to see them win the rebound margin as a Knicks, as a team that certainly can crash the glass, and I wanted to see them attack this Knicks defense, which was really good defense, very good defense from the Knicks, which is not a surprise from a Tom Thibodeau coach team, but I wanted to see them attack the defense, push the pace as the Knicks run the slowest paces in the NBA. They're 26th, 27th in the league. Uh, If I can remember, and the Hawks are 15th in pace per game. So I wanted to see them push the pace, move the ball, really soften that defense up, get some good looks for some players, and open up some driving lanes so they can get into the paint and try to finish around that mountain of a man that is Mitchell Robinson. Out of the five things I listed as far as for the keys of the game, they only did one of them. Actually, they did none of them. They did none of the things that I listed, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go through the program. Starting lineup going into last night for the Hawks were Trey Young, Cam Reddish at the two, DeAndre Hunter at the three, John Collins at the four, Clint Capella at the five. For the Knicks, starting point guard was Alfred Payton. Shout out Louisiana. R.J. Barrett at the two, Reggie Bullock at the three, Julius Randle at the four and Mitchell Robinson at the five. And as we go into the game flow, the Knicks certainly started off fast last night, getting into the paint as the Hawks struggled early on, keeping them out the paint, especially Julius Randle, who was a force the entire night. And the Knicks just played with just more energy, more hustle to start the game. And they got out to a quick 11-point lead, which led to an early timeout for the Hawks. The Hawks would then respond with a 13-2 league as Trey Young would get it going. And he was hot in the first quarter and an entire first half, as has been a trend for the last few games. And they ended up outscoring the Knicks 15-7 to seemingly take control of this game, closing out the first quarter. After only getting to the free throw line four times in the second half versus Cleveland, the Hawks early on did a much better job while their offense was struggling to make shots. They started to attack the paint and force the referees to make calls to get them through the free throw line. They started matching the aggression and the competitiveness of the Knicks, who, as I said before, certainly came to play. And they were really trying to be physical with this Hawks team and impose their will. And I think they definitely did that and wore the Hawks out throughout the game. The Knicks early on will control the pace to their favor. They, as I said before, they like a much slower pace offense to give their chance to run their offense in a half-court set, get good looks so they can get back and set up their defense, which is a top-10 defense in the NBA early on this season. Once again, Julius Randle was the force and a mismatch the entire night with his physicality and his size. And, and he used the scoring prowess to help facilitate the offense and give everybody else better looks around him. The Hawks would, though, take control of the game in the second quarter after a 15-4 spurt late in the second quarter, which was 
sparked by a better defense on the Hawks' part and keeping the Knicks finally out of the paint and forcing more outside shots. Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, and Collins were carrying away early on for the Hawks, which led them to have a four-point lead going into halftime, up 58-54. But Jordan, one of the crazy thing was out of the 54 points that the Knicks scored going into halftime last night, 36 of them were in the paint. So wow. even though they closed the gap and took the lead to going to halftime, they were not protecting that paint. 36 points in the paint at halftime. And the Hawks were still leading the rebound margin. So that just speaks a lot to, you know, the game plan of the Knicks coming in. And I'm going to ask a little bit once we go through the, the full game flow of your thoughts on the Knicks game plan here and shortly. The Hawks certainly dictated the pace more in the second quarter, was put New York at a disadvantage, and they would need to continue that pace if they wanted to win last night's contest. And the Hawks seemingly looked like they were going to do that. They started the third quarter hot and pushed the lead from four at halftime to 13, running their offense, moving the ball, playing better defense. But the Hawks' trend of losing 15-point-plus leads in the second half would continue last night. and. Also, the trend of them failing to close out. The bench really missed Rajon Rondo and Gallinari last night. As I said before, a 15-point lead with 4.47 to go in the third quarter was cut to four points going into the fourth quarter. Second straight game that has happened. Bogdan Bogdanovich will go out with an ankle injury, which made him unavailable for the entire fourth quarter, which further hurt the Hawks as it was a back-and-forth game in the fourth quarter. Randall facilitating, setting things up for his teammates, controlling the pace once again. And the New York Knicks were more the aggressor in the fourth quarter as they had more control over the game, and the Hawks were struggling to try to get the rope back and pull it from, as far as a tug-of-war reference, away from the Knicks. Emmanuel, quickly, who you mentioned in the second half, was a huge X-factor for the Knicks. R.J. Barrett's shot-making was a factor. Knox, who was cold in the early part of the game, as I mentioned, got hot. And Julius Randle's dominance were all keys for the Knicks down the stretch. The Knicks' top-10 defense was also a key as the Hawks, again, failed to close out against a team in a winnable game at home, and they would lose this one, which was a tough pill to swallow for everyone. What were your thoughts on the Knicks' game plan last night? They executed it well. I think the Knicks are still trying to find their identity as far as uh, with Tom Thibodeau trying to make them a defensive team and then trying to figure out the roles of everybody. And I think Obi Toppin didn't play either. Um, so I, I think they were missing him. But I think their game plan was just really just to focus on the defensive end because that's what Thibodeau was really focused on. Um, but he's, he's also trying to – I see he's trying to implement a lot of offense for R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle as, as well. So – I think they executed what they were trying to do well as far as getting Randall to be more of a point forward because last year, you know, he's, he, he, his whole career has been more of a power forward, a, a force in the paint. But I think him handling the ball and getting everybody involved, I think that's what the Knicks are looking at doing between him and, and him and Obi having run the point forward uh, scenarios and get RJ and Knox uh, out running on the perimeter. So, yeah, that, I think I think the Knicks are really more focused on defense this season, which is really interesting. And I'm very interested to see how long this can last and if they could keep this up uh, as far as Randall's uh, efficiency. Yeah, I'm going to ask a little bit later in the program, uh, pretty shortly here, actually, about Randall's efficiency and if they can keep this up because he had a wonderful game last night. But there were two glaring things in his stat line that I saw that as a Knicks fan, I will ask you about. So before we do that, we're going to talk about the team stats. As I said before, the Knicks won the game 113-108 over the Hawks. Knicks shot 50.6% from the field last night and 33.3% from three. The Hawks would shoot 46% from the field last night and shot 32% from three. The Hawks also shot 78% from the free throw line, again, a little bit below their season average of around the mid-80s from the free throw line, but still, nonetheless, a good free throw shooting night, although Trey Young did miss a few here and there. The Hawks, which I said was going to be a key going into the game, they lose the rebounding margin to the Knicks, 45-40, and this is one of the first times all season that they would lose the rebounding margin. The Hawks also had 13 turnovers last night. And as I said before, a big key, big stat for the Knicks last night was 
the 54 points in the paint that the Knicks would score. Now, they scored 36 points in the paint going into halftime and ended the game with 54. So they did a little bit better job in the second half in that regard, but then the outside shots started falling from the Knicks from quickly, from Knox, from Austin Rivers, from R.J. Barrett. It was coming from everywhere. Even Julius Randle hit one or two, hit one last night, I, I would have to say. <laughs> I, I think I was I think I'm wrong on that. I think I'm wrong. The stats are coming up soon. And the Hawks had 50 points in the paint last night, but their three-point shot struggled as well. So they had to keep them out of the paint. They lost that margin. 54 points in the paint is unexcusable from the Hawks, especially when that is a strength for the New York Knicks. And I will talk about the Knicks stats real quick. But first, a plug for ExpressVPN. There are tons of VPN providers out there. You probably heard of a couple of them, and some of you may have even used a VPN before. Just like I do my research for all my shows to provide my listeners with the best Atlanta Hawks podcast out there, I like to do my research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. And I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs out there make money by selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your information. Second is speed. Like Deion Sanders said, speed kills. But in this case, it does not kill your internet speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past. Many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. I've been using ExpressVPN for the last few months and my internet speeds are still blazing fast. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app, click one button to connect, and it's easy like T.I. song, Be Easy, and Trap Music. Whew, great album, underrated Atlanta classic. Anyway, it's not just me saying this, Wired. The Verge, CNET, and many other tech experts rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN in the world, of the world, Craig. So, protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash hoopball today, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Three months Good Lord. Again, that is expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Visit expressvpn.com slash hoopball to learn more. All right, and we are back. We're going to talk about the individual player stats for the Knicks and then the Hawks, and we'll go on with the rest of the program. Player of the game, no question about it, was Julius Randle who played 43 minutes. Now, before I get into his stats, 43 minutes. Is that something that you want to see night in, night out from Julius Randle, him playing 43 minutes? Or is it something that, hey, it's good to see that he can do it, but you'd rather not see that on a nightly basis? Uh, I think it's good to see that he can do it. Like I said, last year he was definitely out of shape and was not able to play 43 minutes, at least be efficient. Um, But I would – prefer not to see him do it. I think with um, Obi being out, I think that's why he has to pick up so many of the minutes and stuff. And then just, just for matchup purposes, I don't think the Hawks could really hang with him. So to keep that uh, mismatch on on the floor to help the team, I think that's that's why he played so many minutes. But I think he's averaging around 36 minutes for the season, um, okay. somewhere around that. But yeah, it's it's great to see that he's definitely focused on his conditioning and, you know, get, gotten better on both ends of the court. Yeah, it's certainly a good sight to see for Knicks fans such as yourself. And this is a staple of a Tom Thibodeau-ran team is that the key players on the team, they're going to play big minutes. They're going yeah. to do that. They're going to have to be in shape. Conditioning is important because him and RJ both played 40 minutes plus. And I started to see it kind of wear on Julius Randle as he missed 
a, a free throw here, there down the stretch and got more turnovers than he had certainly earlier in the game. And I'm going to get into the stats here. As I said, he still was a force. Scored 28 points last night on 11 of 19 shooting from the field. All of his shots were two-pointers, so I was wrong. He did not hit a three, but he was just hitting so many shots. I mean, I thought he would hit one. I mean, shoot. I mean, down, down the stretch. He hit six of eight from the free throw line. He grabbed 17 rebounds, including four in offensive glass. Had nine assists, one steal. As I mentioned, he went 0 for 5 from three. But he had seven turnovers, and but you know the zero for five from three and the seven turnovers were the only negatives about his game, in my opinion. So I think you guys got a real steal in Julius Randle, and with you know Obi Toppin being out with Alec Burke out with Dennis Smith and others out for the Knicks, he's going to have to step up and continue to play like this if the Knicks are going to keep pace and obviously try to make things interesting in the East and put themselves in a position to be a playing tournament team. Mm-hmm. I agree. And the other leading scorer for the Knicks, not a surprise here, RJ Barrett, 26 points on 10 of 19 shooting. He went one of five from three last night and hit five or seven of his free throws, grabbed 11 rebounds, dished out five assists, and had two steals. And between him and his Duke teammate on the opposite side of the floor, Cam Reddish, safe to say R.J. Barrett won this matchup. Yeah, for sure. And your Kentucky Wildcat, who I said was an X-Factor, you agreed as well. Rookie Emmanuel quickly had a career high in the early part of his rookie campaign with 16 points off the bench in 19 minutes. He shot four or seven from the field, two of three from the three-point line, and hit all six of his free throw attempts. What have you liked about Emmanuel quickly early on in this season? Uh, this is actually the first time I've actually caught him playing. The few other games I've watched, he he didn't play or get like limited minutes, so. I've heard a lot about him. I watched him at Kentucky. I know, you know, he's supposed to be our, our shooter, a uh, quick, quick bucket guy. And uh, he definitely did not disappoint last night with his ability to, to step in with confidence and uh, just shoot the ball whenever he needed to, whenever he was supposed to. So I'm impressed. It's a small sample size so far, but he looks like he definitely can fill in that role that we need to spark the offense off the bench or even just play a, a solid backup point guard for uh, Peyton whenever he, he's out. Like he, like I said, he played, I think he played probably one of the worst games of his season last night. So I like the idea that Emmanuel stepped in and filled in that void effortlessly. Yeah, and it seems like Tibbs is going against uh, his normal philosophy of not really playing young guys, having them, you know, bide yeah. their time, get experience, because I know that he was really high on Obi Toppin before, obviously, he's out with a sprained calf. And Emmanuel quickly had to play 19 big minutes last night, and he proved to be an X-factor for the Knicks. And certainly at times where it seemed like both teams were kind of dragging, no one was really hitting their shots. He was the one that was giving the Knicks their spark and really sparked that run in the mid part of the third quarter and helped them close out that 15-point lead that the Hawks had. And I think that it might warrant him getting more minutes here on out. And I'm really going to be looking at that as well. I know that this is going to be the only time the Hawks play the Knicks here in Atlanta, but we will play them two more times in Madison Square Garden. So that'll be something that I will look to see when we play them next. Off the bench, Kevin Knox and Rivers hit some big threes off the bench. They only combined for 14 points, but those were 14 very timely points in this part of the game when they needed it. And as you mentioned, Alfred Payton had 14 points with five assists and two blocks. Yeah, I love the Austin Rivers edition. I'm just an Austin Rivers fan, so I like that he's in uh, New York. Yeah, I'm certainly happy that he's just going to just get an opportunity and be in a place where he's going to get more minutes and be more appreciated than he was in Houston. Exactly. What's up with, with with Kevin Knox? Like, what's up with his minutes and stuff? I'm, I don't know if, if Tibbs likes him or or what's going on, but it, it seems like he's kind of in the doghouse this season. He hasn't really been producing that that well. I haven't really been impressed with Kevin Knox really since he's been in the NBA. He's been real streaky, and obviously, I don't try to jump on players, especially early on in their career. But this is his third year. Am I correct in the NBA? Yeah. 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 And this is when you kind of just say, hey, you are who you are by this point. You've been in the league. You know, have gone around the sun two times as far as the NBA season. And 
you really haven't made a lot of leaps and bounds. You're still streaky and you lost your starting spot. I mean, the fact that Reggie Bullock is starting over you says a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That says a lot. So he's gonna he's definitely gonna have some work to do going forward. But he hit some very timely threes. And it seemed like when Dominique Wilkins on the broadcast last night kind of called out his shot. That's when uh, he started turning it on. So I don't know. He probably heard Neek and said, all right, bet. Just like uh, Steph Curry with his 62-point uh, performance right. the other night. Uh, he heard the internet talking, and so he let his game do the talking. And we're going to flip the script and talk about the Hawks here. Another big night from Trey Young, unfortunately in a losing effort. He scored 31 points in 40 minutes on 9 of 22 shooting from the field, went 1 of 6 again from 3. But – made 12 of his 15 free throw attempts last night. He had 14 assists, but had eight of the team's 13 turnovers last night. Trey Young with 10-plus assists in back-to-back games now, and now in three of his last four games, he's had 10-plus assists. So certainly really dishing out the ball and really trying to get everybody around him going. The eight turnovers, you can point to being a factor in the loss last night as they were kind of mental breakdowns, if you want to say, late in the game were some of his turnovers. And as much as you want to freak about seeing eight turnovers as he almost had a triple-double with that, it's early in the season. You corrected with film. They didn't practice Sunday, and then they came back Monday, probably didn't shoot around, did a little bit of film, and you have a quick turnaround and you play that night. Now they're going to have practice today, and they did practice today, and I'll talk about that a little bit later as far as a, a fallen hawk from last night's game. But they got to practice, maybe watch some film, got to actually work some things out on the court going into tomorrow when they're probably going to have a shoot-around, maybe do some treatment, do a little, watch a little bit more film to get ready for tomorrow's game. Would you say that that is kind of the correct process from a, a loss from last night, the practice schedule today, and then you have the game tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It depends on, um, I guess, the, the time of the game. Is, is tomorrow's game a home game, right? It's, it's, it's home. a home game tomorrow, yes. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, with them being home, it's definitely a lot of film time, a, a lot of just getting your body ready and active for the next game. But but definitely like like film, for sure, is happening today. Yeah, and I know me, being a former college football player, one of the things that really helped set me apart and give me the competitive edge on my opponents when I was an offensive lineman going against an opposing defensive lineman is watching just an immense amount of film. And obviously the turnaround for football and basketball is, is very different. You you get a, at least a week or if you're in the NFL, four days, if you're playing on Thursday nights, which are a criminal, just criminal. But as far as, you know, basketball, you know, it's blowing and go. You're blowing and going through the season. So I know these moments where you get to actually get on the court and practice, that's where true growth comes from, or you get to actually get, as many people as you can with COVID into a room and watch film, break it down and kind of explain, you know, the game plan, explain the team philosophy in a film setting. I know those moments are very invaluable, especially for a young team like the Hawks are. Yep, exactly. And one of their young players, I'm really excited to get your take on DeAndre Hunter, another big night from him, 23 points, nine of 15 shooting from the field, Three of six from three last night, two of three from the free throw line. He grabbed eight rebounds, had an assist and block. His catch and shoot continues to get better, just continues to get better flat out. He was already pretty good as a rookie last year in catch and shoot opportunities, and he continues to, you know, progress from there. His confidence in his shot is extremely evident this year, no matter if he's behind the three-point line, no matter if he's going to dribble it and pull up from the three-point line or in the mid-range game, getting to the rim. Certainly, you know, he is not the reason for the Hawks' two-game skid with his scoring and his defense. He's done what he's supposed to do. And DeAndre Hunter's ability to get into the paint along with his catch-and-shoot is making him a dangerous third or fourth option night in and night out for the Hawks. And his consistency, which should not really be a surprise because he was pretty consistent last year as a rookie, but the consistency along with the growth and the confidence that – is occurring here in year two is truly taking his game to the next level. What have you seen from DeAndre Hunter, you know, this early part of the season? I think I, I mentioned it uh, in, in a few of uh, these uh, episodes that um, just watching his work ethic from last season and seeing the work that he puts in and the attention to detail that he plays, 
And then, like I told you recently, I found out or I had their draft spots mixed up between him and Reddish, and I forgot that they drafted him first. So knowing all that, that he was their first lottery pick that they had that year, and then just watching his work ethic and seeing how they're going to place him on the court. Like I said, he he looks like he's ready. He looks like he's been ready since the last time I seen him last year. Um, his growth has been phenomenal. His improvement in the areas that he needed to improve, like off, off the catch and shoot, um, just finishing at the basket and just being more physical on the defensive end. He's improved in all aspects, and I'm, I'm I'm excited for him because he's definitely one of the pieces that his input every night will definitely affect the outcome of, of the game, whether it be a positive in, input or, or a negative input. But I think he's one of the pieces on this team that definitely affects the tempo of the games, um, the momentum swings of the games. He's one of those pieces that he's fundamentally sound, and I, I really like that, and he, he just always looks ready. Like, he's ready, you know, to, to get his shot on the court. He's ready to lock up. He's ready to get the rebound. He's ready to, to be that role, whatever we're, we're needing from him. He's, he's ready to fill it. Yeah, and Lance Stevenson, even though he's not in the NBA right now and his nickname was Born Ready, he might have to uh, crown that nickname to DeAndre <laughs> Hunter the way he is playing because he certainly looks born ready to play night in and night out. And it's certainly exactly. been a huge lift for this Hawks team. Someone else who's been playing very well, and I'm really glad to see it, even though it's in losing efforts. John Collins was another big key last night, scoring 18 points. And he had the best plus minus on the team at plus 11. He shot 8 of 15 from the field, 2 of 4 from the three-point line. He's really been getting his three-point shot going the last few games, which I've been excited to see because that's only going to make him better, make this team better, and make this offense more potent. He will go and grab eight rebounds last night, including three in the offensive end. I love how he continues to crash the boards on both ends of the floor. He added two steals and an assist. And John Collins' energy, his aggressiveness – improved defense and he's really done well the last few games of defending without fouling and not putting himself in foul trouble to keep him on the court so he can be that positive impact be that energizer bunny you know rim run go for loose balls those dunks are energy plays he can hit his threes and hitting threes and transition and in rhythm looking very confident his confidence is growing in his three-point shot game in and game out and it's been great for this team and i know that i put this criteria out for what John Collins needs to put up as far as numbers this year to get his money. And I'm going to revisit that in a later program. But John Collins, after starting kind of slow, kind of figure out things with him and Capella, he's really turned it on late. What have you seen from John Collins? Oh, yeah. He he looks at every bit of that. Like, he, he's ready for his Brinks truck to uh, be delivered to him. So boop, he, boop, he, boop. He, definitely, he, he definitely is feeling the statistical categories the way that he should. Obviously, he started out a little bit slow, so his 17 and, and 7 average for this season right now, I think he's going to definitely add at least 3 to 5 on each point and, and rebounds. But he's definitely having a great start the season. I think he's shooting like 40% from 3 to start out with. I could be hyping him up, but uh, he, he, he definitely looks ready to shoot the 3, and he's shooting at a, at a very confident and efficient clip, like you said, off the dribble, off the catch, everything in transition. If he keeps that up, like I said, him, Hunter, and, and Young, they're just going to be a problem in the East for teams night in and night out because they're, Collins is a big body and he's physical. Hunter is a big body and he's physical and, and can defend and can shoot. So uh, I like everything that I'm, I'm seeing from Collins. I just I like his scoring to go up a little bit more, but I know it will, so I'm not even concerned about that at all. Um, but just just scoring a re rebound, he, he needs to add a little bit to that. But outside of that, that's just me just nitpicking and finding something to complain about. But he looks solid, in, in, in my opinion. That one four pick and roll that him and Trey Young run is uh is deadly because there's so many shooters around them. You can't help off them, and that just Trey just literally just is picking and choosing if he's going to lay it up, if he's going to float it, if he's going to lob it, if he's going to kick it out. And given a passer like that with so many options with the ability to score. Once they figure it all together and they get healthy, it's just going to be they're, they're, they're going to be hard hard to guard. It's too much offense. I agree, and especially with Gallinari out and his in you know the growing confidence in John Collins' three point shot, which I looked it up right now. He's shooting thirty two percent from three this year, but he because he struggled definitely early on, but he's really picked it up the last couple of games there. Okay. But, that's, why but was, that's why I thought he was shooting so high because the last couple of games I think he's just been knocking them down. 
Yes, but his, but his growing confidence in his three-point shot, if he continues to show the consistency, which I know will come with more games and more confidence and more rhythm with this offense. I've been saying this in the last few programs. With Gallo out and Gallo's ability to do the pick and pop, which is just another you know wrinkle off of the pick and roll game because they're starting to guard the rollers pretty pretty hard. I would love to see them do it with John Collins. I've only seen it. I've only seen them do it once with John Collins this year. That's something I'm really asking for from the Hawks because I think that because uh, if they're going to cheat back and try to you know cheat back into the paint for, to try to guard the roller, which you know they know John Collins can certainly roll. If he pops out and, you know, that's going to be, I would say, eight times out of ten, a clean look from three because they're going to cheat back. And, you know, that's just that's just another wrinkle, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Gallo definitely has to get healthy. He, he looks like he's a, he's a little bit overweight right now, um, but I'm sure he'll drop that within a couple weeks. But once once that happens, yeah, it's just it's just going to be pick your poison. Yeah, and we, we miss that poison right now. But. Someone who certainly had not has not been poisoned for the Hawks. He's certainly been sweet to have on the floor is Clint Capella with another double-double last night with 12 points, and he grabbed 12 rebounds with two offensive rebounds. He continues to be efficient from the floor, shooting five or seven from the field and going two or two from the three-point line. He does a great job of running the floor. He continues to play with edge and effort, and I know we did not have him last year because he was battling injury coming from the trade from Houston, but having Capella on the floor, what does it mean for this Hawks team? He's definitely a d- defensive anchor, somebody that that we could uh, lead our players that, that we're guarding to run into him to, to block the shot. He's looking a little bit more fresh, a lot more active on the on the boards and just on the defensive end. Um, I love I love the chemistry that him him and Young have already. It's just going to grow. Uh, I'm excited about him and everything that he he brings to the table d- defensively and, and a little bit of offense that he does he's, he does provide as well too. Yeah, and I ca- I've started to call him Mister Right because especially on the offensive end, he's always in the right spot. He's always in the right spot to get rebounds. He's always visible so that whoever the ball handler is, they can see that he is open. He has positioned himself to say, you know what. I'm comfortable enough to give him the ball. And he's a very underrated passer, too. There's a lot of little things in Clint Capella's game that really just helps this team. And I know that early on in the season, we we started off undefeated and Clint Capella wasn't on the floor. People weren't really talking about him, but they were just like, man, wait till we get Capella back. We're going to be even better. He has been better for this team. Unfortunately, that's when we have Gallo, and now Gallo's off the floor. So it'll be great to get them both on the floor again, Rondo as well, Bogey, which I'll talk about here in a minute. But another part of the Magic City trio, Cam Reddish, he struggled again last night. He wasn't double digits, though, which was better than the night before. He shot 4 of 11 from the field last night, 2 of 6 from 3, and he missed his only free throw attempt. He added four rebounds. And last couple of games, Cam Reddish has looked rough. Uh, His shot's been inconsistent. He seems frustrated. And I think... You want to continue to keep him, you know, giving him his minutes and keep him in the lineup for his, you know, confidence. But I think it, it might be time to make a change as far as in the starting lineup and have him come off the bench because we know that when he comes off the bench, he certainly plays with that energy and that effort. And he has that continuity with Herter off the bench and he can play defense. And maybe when the bench is not playing well at times, as we've seen the last couple of games, he can be that defensive presence off the bench, in my opinion. But that would that would have to come if Bogey is healthy and switching, you know, Cam for Bogey at that two guard position to start off games. And like I said, Bogey has to be healthy enough to play. I know he had an ankle injury, which kept him out of the fourth quarter last night. He did practice today, which is a good sign. But what is your thoughts on Cam Reddish? And do you think it's too early to, you know, make a change to try to see if that helps Cam Reddish get out of his slump? Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on with him. Um, I I feel like he's putting a lot of effort on the defensive end. And that, oh, no that doubt might, about that, it. That, that, that might be affecting his, his offensive flow and him just getting into the offensive rhythm. But I, I noticed this about Herder, too, that I guess I, I could just wait till we get to him. But You, you can I talk think, about it now. Yeah, you okay. can talk about it now. Yeah, I think both of them, they just need a lot more shots. They're only really shooting. I know Herder, I, I don't think he shot. I think he's only shot 10 shots in like two of the games. Everything he's shot less than 10 shots. 
And he, and he had 12 shots last night, Kevin Herter. Yeah, and that was literally the first time, I think, in a few games he's had at least 12. I think the last time he's had more than 10, they, they won against the Nets or whatever. And then before that, he's only been hitting like six and eight shots or <laughs> shooting six and eight shots. And as a shooter or somebody you kind of depend on to get their offense going, you kind of have to go to him early. The shooters just to get them in rhythm, get them scoring, get their confidence going. And I don't know if they, they go to him enough or if, if he's not taking the shots that are for him. And that, that goes for Redis as well. And that's why I say their chemistry has to build. Like, they're at, at seven games right now. Um, I, I give it at least 15 till I really start to nitpick. But a, a lot of their chemistry is kind of off sync because, you know, just all, all the new personnel and everything. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a few times where I think John Collins was supposed to roll and he popped and that messes up Herder's flash up to the top of the key. And then, but Trey's talented enough where he, you know, still makes it work and doesn't look like there's any any busted play. But between Collins, Reddish, and Herder, I see them kind of getting in in each other's spots sometimes on certain plays, like on the high screen and roll when Trey going downhill. I think Collins is supposed to roll to the basket because that'll bring his man down, and then that that kick out will be for Herder or for Reddish. But Collins likes that top of the key three. So he stays there, and that messes up the action on that weak side for the shooters that are coming down off the, off the pin downs and the floppy actions and everything. So it's more of a chemistry issue, I think, that I'm seeing. I didn't mean to get in, like, nerd mode just now, but no, um, no, I, think, I, great. I think it's more of a chemistry issue and just figuring out where everybody fits. But like I said, I, I, I give him another eight games before I really nitpick on it. But Herder, I know he just needs to get up shots more, and Reddish is the same Well, They just need to – get up shots and I don't know if they're playing timid now because of the new additions or they're not as comfortable in their in their spots or coming off the bench or whatever but that's what I see as shooters and I'm comparing this Hawks team to that Warriors team a couple years ago so if you look at how the Warriors always started out they always went to Clay first they always went to Clay like Steph never really got his shot until about seven minutes in the first quarter or whatever eight or his own play for him everything was going through clay through draymond through uh whoever their big was at the time so that's kind of what i look at this hawks team because you know they got the gm and everything and they kind of built that team off of that so i think that's one thing the hawks need to do is go to herder very early in the in the game in the shot clock if he's coming off the bench it needs to go to him get his confidence going allow him to get up at least three or four because it's going to take him a minute to get in rhythm and that and that goes the same as well for Cam as well. It's just getting them shots, but I don't know what their game plan is. I don't know what their system is, but just you know, just knowing basketball, looking at their shot selection and them being as highly drafted as they are and having the weight that they have on the team that they have to carry offensively, taking ten to twelve shots is not going to do it at all. So and that's why I said a couple episodes ago, that's why I think Trey's point per game is gonna drop a little bit once he gets it all figured out, um, because he's having to take a lot of shots right now that he took last year that I don't think he really should take, but it's just figuring out spacing where people are at on the floor and just reading Trey. Because like I said, with all the shooters, you can't really help. So now he's he's getting that screen and it's all by himself. And he's just really just reading what the defense is giving him and picking his poison. But if everybody's standing around like Collins tends to do from time to time, that just messes up the whole flow of the offense. And I'm not blaming Collins for this at all, but it's just more just a chemistry issue. Like I've been saying with a few episodes, just, giving them time to get their chemistry developed and figure out, you know, everybody's spots and what they like. And that's what Rondo's going to help in that. And then Chris Dunn on that defensive end. Like, so like I said, I, I, I said 15 to 20 games or whatever. And I think we're at game seven or eight. So I'm not too concerned right now. Um, after game 15, after game 20, then I can really start breaking down the X's and O's and seeing exactly what's wrong with this team and, you know, exactly how far they're advanced. But, Reddish and Herder, I think it's just the lack of shots and a lack of rhythm, um, mm-hmm. just just being out there. And it's you make you brought up a lot of great points, and I really have some follow up questions from that. So I kind of saw the you know the chemistry issues early on. That's with John Collins' struggle with him working out spacing and where him and Capella can share the floor and be effective. And the Hawks, you know, kind of counteracted that by staggering their minutes but then still putting them together at times. And it seems like they're starting to get a little bit more comfortable in that regard with Capella being in the paint and then having Collins more towards the perimeter, which I what I kind of envisioned. And I, and I think that's a great adjustment. And to fix, you know, the chemistry issues and, the, you know, the lack of shots for Reddish, do you think it's a thing where we move Reddish to the bench, put Bogey, into the starting lineup, so it guarantees that Reddish is going to get more looks in that second unit, especially once Rondo comes back, who's going to help set him up, is going to help 
hurt or set up because obviously Rondo's not going to eat up shots like Bogey would off the bench as well, who's also trying to facilitate as well with Rondo being out. Do you think that's a good adjustment for them going forward? So that's the first question. I'm going to ask that one first, and then I'll hold my second question. I said a few episodes ago, I think it's really case-by-case case depending on who, who they play. I think, to be honest, I don't think Capella needs to play that many minutes against a point forward like that because I think that's where uh, the Hawks got beat at is just Capella trying to keep up with Julius Randle and stuff. And I think that messed up the defense for the Hawks. But you can't really expect John Collins to really try to keep up with, with you know, the point forward either because he's not really that great on defense. So I think Redders, as far as defensively, I think he needs to be out there. But it really just depends on matchups. I, I would prefer Bogey to start because I think he's better offensively. But for both sides, offense and defense, I think Redders needs to be out there. So, like, it, it's just really just figuring out where his shots are going to come from and that. But I, th- I think he should maybe start and then start for defensive purposes in that second unit. He needs to be more of the offensive guy. Like, him and Bogey can, you know, can trade off shots on that on that second unit. But I don't really see our defensive stopper for, you know, the stretch fours and stuff in the East, which this Hawks team doesn't really need because they have the offense. So, that's, that's a tough question. Like, I think it'll just be night in and night out, depending on who they're matching up against and, you know, what happened the previous game or whatever um, between Reddish and Bogey. But I don't think you could really just say bring him off the bench and that'll cure everything or start him and that'll cure everything. Like I said, he's still not getting the shot. So if he comes off that second unit and Rondo's still hurt and they're playing with Bogey at, at point or Herder at point, his shots are still not, still not going to come, you know. So it just depends on the unit that he has around him, I guess, and just his confidence and just getting the shots up and, and shooting and not deferring to Trey or to Collins um, because he's not that number one person. He's, he needs to get the shots up whenever the ball comes to him because this is an offensive team and there's going to be a lot of shots going up. I don't think it really matters who is shooting at this point as long as Capella's not shooting the three or something like that. You know, I, I don't <laughs> think it, I don't think people care who's getting the shots up. It's just, just get them up. So I don't know if starting him or benching him or, ha- or not benching him, but having him come off the bench, you know, will affect anything. I just think it's more just him looking to shoot and just being confident in shooting. Maybe yeah. when, when, when Rondo and Chris Dunn come back as, as, you know, point guards to facilitate that second unit, it might b- benefit him more to play alongside Rondo, you know, somebody who's definitely going to look for him to get his shots because Rondo's not going to shoot as much as Trey does. So it, it might be beneficial to pair him up with a Rondo, but I don't think that's just going to cure, you know, just going to be this simple fix. I just think it's just, just got to shoot more. Yeah. And I was going to ask as well, is that Rondo coming back could be the key in kind of helping that out. Uh, but like, as you said, like we're, we're, we're going off of a small sample size and we don't have all the pieces so mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to judge, but just trying to just throw that line of thinking out to see what could possibly come this season to get everybody in rhythm to make sure that everyone is effective in their roles. Because there's certainly it's been a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Reddish is always going to you know play really good defense. Uh, he may gamble a bit at times, but he's always going to give that consistent effort on the defensive end. It's offensively he's very Jekyll and Hyde. And maybe I thought that you know coming off the bench where he is in the second unit, he's going to be guaranteed shots. Especially when Rondo Rondo comes back, and with Gallo coming back, who's a pretty decent facilitator as well, um, yeah, I think sure. that's going to help Reddish and Herder going forward. And then my second question before we get into takeaways about everything, uh, I've been holding my tongue about comparing this team to you know the Warriors team as they were building and ascending, but there are a lot of similarities, and you kind of pointed to it. If we're following the same timeline. Who is that eye guy out? You know, Harrison Barnes was the eye guy out on that team for them to get them over the hunt and get the pieces that they truly need. Is it? I know it may be too early to ask this question, and maybe later on in the year when you come back on, this is a question we pose after the 20-game mark, as you said, and you got to look at film. But is there an early candidate for that, or is that something that you want to hold until later on in, in the season? Uh, I don't know. I, this is more isn't really basketball take it's more like my personal take but i would love to see herder with the warriors right now with clay thompson being out so i think he would be the odd man out i think he would fit on a lot of teams in the league and he would get a lot more usage on on a different team not to say he doesn't fit this team but i think for what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are if you want to put him as a secondary playmaker or 
third playmaker, third ball handler, well, that'd be the only reason why, because there's just not enough minutes for him. I don't see him as a defensive stopper, but I don't see him as a defensive liability either. Mm-hmm. But just to give him the minutes and let him expand the way that he needs to, I think he would be the odd man out. But at the same time, I also think Bogey is the exact same thing as him, just a little bit more polished. So I don't know if it would be him or Bogey or whatever, but one of those people, I think, in, in, in that in that position, not necessarily Bogey because he just got here, but I think Herder would just be that odd man out simply because of his talent. He needs to just be elsewhere to to show it. Like if he was in Phoenix or in Portland or something, like he would he would have a high usage and just be you know super efficient. Um, so I I I think he would be the odd man out, but it could really be anybody from that Magic City uh, trio or whatever. Um, and I don't think it'd be a wrong, a wrong pick either. Like, because whoever you know would leave or get traded is going to go flourish elsewhere. So I don't think it'd be a bad thing, you know, if we had to trade one away or whatever, get got rid of one of them because they're they're talented, and I think we're kind of limiting their talent right now if they, if they don't figure it out. I guess. So I would say Herder, but you can't go wrong with with Hunter or Reddish. I think Hunter would be a huge steal if you got him in the right system and you know a right team or whatever. I think he'd be the biggest steal for another team. But I think for the Hawks and their system, I think Herder right now he just he just he's not really fitting from just this early sample size. Now things can definitely change or whatever, but just to answer the question, I think it would definitely be Herder. Okay, and. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, early on, and I know Chris Kirshner who came on the program said that this will be an evaluation process as far as the pieces on this team, who is going to help get this team to the next level. They're going to have to keep some things and they may have to move some things around. So it's just all part of, you know, the growing process and the evaluation process that the Hawks are embarking on this season. So we'll go into the evaluation part of obviously last night's game and early part of the season as and last night, as good as the Hawks were doing, forcing more threes and more outside shots and keeping the Knicks out of the paint at times during the game, they still gave up 54 points in the paint. They have to protect the paint better. I've seen examples where they've done good in that regard, but I've seen examples where they have not done good in that regard early in the season. It's early. It's going to take game to game. It's going to take more continuity more film study, more practice time, getting everybody back to truly improve this defense game in and game out. And that's what we just want to continue to see, just defense improvement, game in and game out. It will have to continue if they're going to get to where they want to go at the end of the season. My second takeaway, I think this team will need to improve in in in-game defensive adjustments when adversity strikes. In the last two games, they have failed to do that. And that is something that will need to change going forward if they're going to be a playoff team. Again, no need to ring the alarm, but bad habits need to be broken sooner rather than later. My third point, we're already really missing Gallo and Rondo off the bench to generate offense and stabilize things at times in the second unit. We've talked about this on this program indirectly and directly. And certainly their unavailability to play in the last has contributed to the last two losses, but poor bench play has been there as well. Not really getting anything for Fernando. Good one who looked good the last couple of games really struggled last night. Bogey struggled with a shot. And then we find out he has an ankle injury, which he, Practice today, and the report just came out that his right ankle stiffness, he is going to be probable to play tomorrow, which is a good sign. But they're going to need more from the bench, but they don't have everybody available, especially last night. We saw that they weren't able to go deep into the bench, so the starters were going to have to get big minutes. And it wasn't that they ran out of gas. It was just the Knicks just played with more energy and more competitive drive, and we saw that last night because, like I said, we're going to need bogey. We're going to need bogey because of his ability to create his own shot and facilitate for others. So hopefully we can get him back, and that's going to help things in the bench. But we're really going to need Gallo and Rondo back. I know Rondo is not on the injury report today. Hopefully he will actually play tomorrow, but Gallo is still out as of right now. So we're going to have to take that game to game. And then the last thing that I have is the Hawks still have to learn how to close out games. Uh, they're learning hard lessons in the early part of the season, losing winnable 
games. And that's something that I said going into the season that you got to win the winnable games, especially if you're going to be a playoff team. You can't drop too many of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks. No offense to those teams, obviously. The Detroit Pistons, the Chicago Bulls, the Hornets, who we got coming up. You can't lose too many of those games because if you lose too many of those games, instead of being comfortably in the playoffs, you're going to be outside looking in when it's all said and done, thinking, what if, what happened? We should, we would have, could have, should have, like Boo Little Boosie's song said. Um, we, we don't want to get into that. We don't want to get in that. But still, it's early in the season, and they have times to clean things up. But they're going to have to learn on the fly. They're going to have to learn truly on the job, trial by fire, trial by error to correct these things because the breakdowns on the offense and defensive side of things as far as execution down the stretch have to get cleaned up. And Renee Montgomery on the broadcast last night for Fox Sports Southeast mentioned this as well, just paying attention to detail. And the Hawks are missing little things, which is a product of a young team. Those are the growing pains and things that they're going to have to learn and get better at as the season progresses. So those are all my takeaways. There's a small sample size, no need to push the panic button. But if bad habits continue, they become a trend, and you don't want these trends to hurt your season. So with that, we're going to talk briefly about Hornets-Hawks. The Hornets, they're currently 2-5 and five to start the season. And although they have some exciting players, Scary Terry, Miles Bridges, Amelo Ball, P.J. Washington, who looks good, and they've had some exciting moments and beat some teams they shouldn't have. They are also a young team trying to figure things out as well. They play at a very fast pace, one of the fastest paces in the NBA, but they're one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA at 24th in offensive rating. But defensively, they're 15th. So another team, another situation that I'm sure the Hawks will go in favor, but another team that on paper the Hawks should be better at offensively. But on the defensive side, I think this team is a little bit better than the Hawks fans who are just focusing on the Hawks in the silo and not looking at everything else in the NBA, they're a little bit better than people may expect. So this would certainly be another test because this is a divisional opponent who is very familiar with us and we're very familiar with them. And we're in a two-game snide. We're going to be in desperation mode. We're going to have to turn the tide. So going into Hornets-Hawks tomorrow, what are the things that you want to see from the Hawks? If the game's close, you know, make sure that they close out get Herter and Reddish involved early uh, to get them to get them going. I think um, Hawks are going to look to push the pace, you know, with, with the Hornets or, or, or match it since they both are, you know, fast teams and high flying teams. Um, be a pretty exciting game as far as like highlights are concerned, just with Devontae Graham and Trey Young uh, matching up and then just the highlights of LaMelo throwing lobs and Young throwing lobs. I think the Hawks are just going to be more focused on, like I said, getting – Herder involved, making sure Trey doesn't have to shoot as as, as many shots, um, and just just locking up on on the defensive end and, and closing out the game. Uh, I think the Hornets are in the same position, trying to figure out how to how to get some wins going and get and get getting their offense going. So we'll definitely put up numbers against the Hornets, but hopefully we could contain them as well too. Yeah, certainly. I think that the big key for tomorrow's game, even though they're not great offensively, but they can push the pace as far as the Hornets go. Defense is going to be a key. Defense has to be our calling card. We have to play better on the defensive end. They don't have a real bruiser on the front court like we've seen in the last couple of games with the Mitchell Robinson, with Andre Drummond, JaVale McGee, with you know Julius Randle last night. We are not going against that. They play more of a small ball lineup like we do. So it may lend to us and give us an advantage in that that regard with Capella being able to crash the glass, with Collins being able to crash the glass. But big keys is going to be on the defensive end. The bench is going to have to be a key. And let's get Herder, let's get Reddish, and let's get Bulky going. If they're available to play, let's get them going give them opportunities so they don't have to work as hard because there's been times in last couple of games where offense has been hard to come by outside of Trey Young, which is a problem that we saw last year when you don't have Bogey on the floor with you, you don't have a Rondo available, you don't have you don't have Herder 
sometimes in the lineup. You're just resorting him to just catch and shoot opportunities. And you're not really executing an offensive end to give him clean looks. Or, as you said, he hasn't been getting as many touches, just like Reddish. And now you're asking him to shoot and those shots aren't going in. Let's get those guys going because they're going to be key going forward as if they're in rhythm. On top of the things that I mentioned, playing good defense and the bench is there. We know we're going to get from DeAndre Hunter. It seems like night in, night out. We know we're going to get from John Collins. We know we're going to get from Trey Young and Capella. Those other guys are going to be key. Let's try to see if we can get people back one game at a time and just continue to initiate everybody. And I love what you said earlier about how Steph Curry really didn't take his first shot until seven six minutes in the first quarter because he's trying to get everybody else going. And I see Trey Young doing that with Capella, with Collins, trying to get Hunter involved. And then he gets his shot later on in the first quarter. So he seems like he's definitely following that same formula, but it's going to have to take other guys outside of those four that I mentioned to step up to get the Hawks where we are trying to go this year. Exactly. Once again, Mr. ATL player development, Jordan Boatwright, thank you so much for coming on the show. You threw out some hot takes, some things to really think about going forward if you're a Hawks fan right now. Even though it's early, it's too early to push the panic button on things, but things to look for and you hope to see out of this team because we all want the same thing. We all want to see them in the playoffs. So with your insight, with your knowledge, with what you're seeing with the game, you're helping, you know, not – every day people but people who are aspiring to be in the state farm arena in the barclays center or in madison square garden when your knicks play or just you know in a college arena or playing overseas you've been helping people try to work on all their skills round out their games so they can take their games to the next level as you've taken this episode to the next level so mr atl player development jordan Boatwright, tell them how they can connect with you if they are an aspiring player they know someone who's an aspiring basketball player or really trying to take their game to the next level uh you can reach me via email my old school email boatwright.jordan at hotmail.com or reach out to me on linkedin Got one more week till I get back on social media. I'll be at Swissville Athletics. You can get me there on LinkedIn too, Swissville Athletics. Um, but yeah, reach out to me. Let's get some work in. I'm 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 in the A. And if you're in A, hit him up. Hit him up. And if you love what you heard today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell your partner them, your cousin them, your grandma them, your auntie them, whoever about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. That's no smoke. That's no cap. Numbers do not lie. We are doing it big, and we're going to continue to get bigger and bigger. And like I said with David, we're trying to get to the penthouse. I want all the people up there in the penthouse with me, post-COVID, obviously. It's going to be a big party once we get to the top. Miss ATL Player and Development is going to be there. You know, David Brace is going to be there. Uh, Chris Kirshner, shout out again for coming on episode. He's going to be on there. And everybody else who supported this program, we all going to be in the penthouse post COVID. Don't don't call the CDC on me. This ain't no Jeezy Gucci after party at the compound type thing. This ain't that. Uh but with that, <laughs> share this with fellow Hawks fans and NBA basketball enthusiasts across the globe. Follow us at Hoopball Hawks on Twitter. That is at Hoopball Hawks. Follow myself on Twitter, Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T 67. And as always, yay!